Please remain standing and pray with me. Come Holy Spirit, come and blow life, the wind of life, the breath of life into the Word of God that we have heard read this morning. And in the preaching of your Word, Lord, apply it to every heart. Give me utterance by the inspiration of your Spirit. Give us all ears to hear and receptive hearts to receive. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Well, this is a, uh, an extraordinary event in many ways. An extraordinary morning. I've told people before when I, I teach, uh, occasionally have the opportunity to speak to people who are going to be church planting. And uh, I tell people, if you cannot do church when your lights go out, you have a problem uh, because you are too dependent on technology. So as, as a matter of fact, I guess we can do church when the lights go out. We're good at this now, I guess. Uh, you know, being in Winston-Salem with our, our tradition of the Moravians and all their candlelight stuff, I guess we have a, a head start on a lot of folks. Uh, it's an extraordinary morning because in just a little bit, Jesus will be ordained to the priesthood in the next service. And so we're excited about that. So it is an extraordinary morning. But on this extraordinary morning, what I want us to focus on is this. What does an ordinary, normal, healthy Christian life look like? What does a normal, ordinary, healthy Christian life look like? And I think we see that here presented in the Gospel of John. John chapter 15, very familiar passage uh, to a lot of people. You know, I am divine, you are de branches, as Jesus says. No, no, that's not what it says. But it's a familiar passage to many of us. And in that passage, we see that the normal Christian life is a fruitful life, a normal Christian life is a life of intimate dependence on Jesus Christ, and the normal Christian life is a life where we are constantly being pruned by our Heavenly Father. So it's a life of fruitfulness, a life of intimate dependence, and a life in which we are constantly being pruned in our Christian walk by our Heavenly Father. So the normal life is a fruitful life. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If a person remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. He will bear much fruit. Now, if, you are, if you're like me, you're probably asking yourself the question, what exactly is the kind of fruit we're talking about here? If you remain in me, you're going to bear much fruit. And I want to know what he's talking about. Well, first of all, fruit is the way, obviously, that plants reproduce. The seed inside of a grape carries the genetic information of the vine. And it carries, in other words, the essence of that vine. All that that vine is, is contained in the genetic material of that seed. So for us as branches, it means that all our lives will, if we're going to bear fruit, our lives will reproduce the essence of Christ in our day-to-day Christian walk. And that's exactly what follows right here in the same passage, beginning at verse 12, which is coming after what we heard read this morning. My command is this, listen, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. 
Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. Love each other. So the fruit Jesus is speaking of here is a life marked by acts of self-giving love, modeled on Christ's self-giving love for us. That's the essence of Christ's love. That's the fruit we'll be passing along in our lives. And it is, it, and it is Jesus passing on his life through us. Now, fruit is exactly what, this is incredibly important, fruit is what branches do naturally. So this is not works righteousness. Bearing fruit, fruit that will last, bear much fruit, that is not works righteousness. If a branch is connected to the vine, the natural course of events is for it to bear grapes. Now, you know, we have a wine country here in North Carolina. I'm going to move this so it might pick up for the recording of the podcast, but it really doesn't matter. They can act like they don't have power either on the two-legged agenda. But in North Carolina, we have restored our wine uh, agribusiness. Back before Prohibition, North Carolina was the number one wine-producing state in the Union. Did you know that? No, you didn't. So there you go. You learned something in church. Uh, But then it shifted, obviously, after Prohibition to California and a different type of grape. So, uh, but if you go to one of these vineyards that we have around here, and I encourage you to do this, it's a beautiful thing to do. Go out to one of the vineyards, and I want you to stand, literally stand between the vines. And I want you to get very quiet and listen. And here's why I want you to listen. I want you to listen really hard. When you're listening between those vines, you know what you never hear? You never hear this. Uh, must bear fruit straining so hard to bear fruit vines never do that it's not what vines do because fruit bearing is the natural consequence of being connected to the vine the branches naturally bear fruit bearing fruit is the symptom of the disease of discipleship This is to my Father's glory, Jesus says, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. There's something frightening also in this passage, and it's this. Uselessness or unfruitfulness will be judged harshly. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, why is faithlessness, or why is, actually should say, why is fruitlessness, why is worthlessness judged so severely? Well, the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, you remember that. Remember the servant that goes and he buries the talent? He has, like, it's one talent. And somebody gets five, and somebody gets ten. And the one who buries his talent... When he's called in before his master, the unfruitful uh, servant, is called, you wicked servant. How is that wicked? All he did was just, you know, hey, I know you were a tough guy, so I, I made sure I didn't lose this, and here it is back. Why is that judged so harshly? Why is that called wickedness? Well, it's judged severely because we can only become worthless, unproductive branches if we do not walk in obedience, if we choose to not walk in obedience. This is not just passive laziness. This is disobedience to God's purpose for our lives and resistance to the grace that he has offered to make that purpose a reality. 
The only way to not bear fruit is to actively resist the clear teaching of the Word of God and the promptings and the warnings of the Holy Spirit. To be fruitless, we have to say, I do not want to do what you have told me to do, and I will not use the power you have given me to do it. Now, I remember I grew up in the Sand Hills of North Carolina, sort of the eastern part of North Carolina, down towards the South Carolina line. And uh, not much grows in the sand hills. You've got to really work at it really hard to make anything grow, including grass for your lawn. So when I was instructed to go mow the grass, it was actually go and mow the patches of grass and then blow the sand around. That's what mowing the grass was like on a Saturday morning. I did not like that job. And of course, um, the sand hills of North Carolina are like the hottest place in, in the world. You know, you, it's, not, it's not the gates of hell, but you can see them from there. And so... On Saturday morning, my, my daddy would say, uh, I want you to go out and get, here's the gas can, here's the lawnmower, go out and mow the yard, and I'll be back after lunch, and we'll see what you did. Well, instead, I wanted to stay in the air conditioning and watch, they had this thing, children, called Saturday morning cartoons back then, and, uh, and watch my cartoons and that kind of stuff. And what, what I was doing is I was just actively resisting. Dad had given me the means, he'd give me the lawnmower, he'd give me the power, he'd give me the gasoline. The only reason I was not bearing fruit in that activity was because I was just being disobedient. And Dad would come home, and, and, and as always, there would be consequences because it was an act of disobedience. Disobedience brings us under God's judgment. Even as Christians, we will see that in our lives. God does not bless our disobedience. We're not talking about eschatological judgment. We're talking about his reaction to our disobedience in our lives. The normal Christian life is one of intimate dependence. It means abiding in Christ. Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I am him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do a couple of things. No, that's not what it says here. It says, apart from me, you can do nothing, no thing. Christians are people who are intimately connected to and drawing life from Jesus. We are not created to be autonomous or self-sufficient. We are not lone ranger men and women. If we are not connected to the true vine, we are not connected to our source of life. And so if we are, listen, and we're going to fig- we've got to figure this out here in a minute. If we are not abiding in Christ then we will wither up spiritually and it will have it'll have repercussions in our emotional life in our relational life and just our day-to-day walk will be affected if we do not remain closely connected to Christ now that's what i want to know how to do then if that's the case how do i abide or how do i remain in Christ we remain in Christ first of all by employing listen the means of grace What are the means of grace? The means of grace are those faithful things that God has promised to us whereby we encounter His power for Christian living. That really is in in the notes. So there are actually... Wow, what a great sermon illustration. 
There are actually two means of grace mentioned, and the two primary means of grace, I think, are probably mentioned right here. The daily-to-day means by which we stay connected to Christ on a daily basis are mentioned right here in this passage. And they are these two things, the Word of God and prayer. The Word of God and prayer. Reading and feeding on God's Word and praying in the Spirit. So if you remain in me and my words remain in you, listen, if you remain in me and my words, the Word of God, remain in you, ask whatever you wish, prayer, and it will be given to you. The other means of grace that John lifts up as being of, ex- of profound importance is Holy Communion. Now, we didn't read it this morning. It is in John chapter 6. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, abides in me, and I in him. Do we want to abide in Christ? Then Jesus says, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father... So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. And as we mature in our Christian life, feasting on these means of grace, the word of God, prayer, holy communion, and there are others, Christian fellowship is a tremendous means of grace. Then we will begin to practice the presence of God. Brother Lawrence in that seminal little devotional book, many of us, probably most of us have read, the practice of the presence of God says this, the most holy practice the nearest to daily life and the most essential for the spiritual life is the practice of the presence of God. That is, to find joy in His divine company and to make it a habit of life, speaking humbly and conversing lovingly with Him at all times, every moment, without rule or restriction, above all, speaking humbly, conversing with Him at times of temptation, distress, dryness, and revulsion. What is revulsion? It's like when you think, when the last thing you want to do, ugh, I don't want to have my prayer time. That's what he's talking about. And even of unfaithfulness and sin, that is abiding in the vine. Now, the normal Christian life is one of actually being constantly pruned by our Heavenly Father, the gardener, the vine dresser. And he does this in order to make us more fruitful. I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, I have never grown grapevines. I'm growing hops now, (laughs) which seems appropriate. And I am growing, and I grow tomato vines. I wasn't going to grow tomatoes this year. Uh, because we have too many things going on this spring and daughters getting married, writing theses and that kind of stuff. But my neighbors revolted because they are the beneficiary of much of my tomatoes. And so, they, so I've got nine tomato plants this year. I, I usually have more than that. So I know a little bit about growing tomatoes. And there's this, there's this thing that comes on a tomato vine. There's a branch, there's the main vine, and then right between the branch and the main vine, there's another little branch that will begin to grow out. What's that called? Suckers. Exactly. They're called suckers. And if you want your main branches to bear good tomatoes, you need to go around and, and be consistent about popping those suckers off. 
Because if you don't, they will drain the life from the branches that are producing fruit. I am not growing tomato foliage. I'm growing tomato fruit. And so I'll go around and I'll pop those suckers off of my tomato plants. Now, here's the thing. There are suckers in our lives that God is cutting off. He's popping those suckers off. Sometimes they're perfectly innocent things. They're just distracting. You know, um, Lisa and I watched a little bit of the uh, new Sherlock Holmes. The new season's out on Netflix last night. And they were making a comment, uh, a social comment, in that first episode. Everybody is going around with their face in a phone like that. In the entire, and, you know, it was, it's annoying. It's meant, I'm sure, the director was making a statement, a cultural statement. This is annoying. You know what? It might be a sucker. And maybe God would prune that out of our lives. There are things in our lives that are, that are relationships that God may have to prune out, our, prune out of our lives. They are drawing, drawing us away from the life of Christ. There may be moral issues and character traits. God removes these things from our lives from time to time because they're drawing our life away from Christ. <clears throat> Part of the American dream is that you can have it all. And in the last generation, that has become supercharged. It has become turbocharged that we have this fear of missing out. We are so determined to have it all. We, we walk around with a fear of missing out. There's an acronym. You know what it is? FOMO. Fear of missing out. Well, that is not what Jesus teaches. Jesus teaches that as his disciples, we can have abundant life, but we cannot have abundant life if we, if we run after everything. Many of us are haunt, haunted by that FOMO. This is, what, um, this is what David Brooks in his new book, The Road to Character, writes. He says, many contemporary young people are plagued by a frantic fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. The world has provided them with a superabundance of neat things to do. Naturally, they hunger to seize every opportunity and taste every experience. They want to grab all the goodies in front of them. They want to say yes to every product in the grocery store. They are terrified of missing out on anything that looks exciting. But by not renouncing any of them, they spread themselves thin. What's worse, they turn themselves into goodie seekers for every experience and exclusively focused on self. If you live in this way, you will turn into a shrewd tactician, making a series of cautious semi-commitments without really surrendering to some larger purpose. You lose the ability to say a hundred no's for the sake of one overwhelming and fulfilling yes. Being pruned has to seem cruel to the branch. It has to hurt. Being pruned results in real loss. Something is being cut off. God only prunes and cuts off those things that suck the life from us, that make us unfruitful. He cuts out of our lives in order to bring abundance. Did you hear that? God takes things out of our lives in order to bring abundance. In the submitted Christian life, what God removes brings, this is a paradox, in the submitted Christian life, what God removes brings more abundance. I have experienced some pretty dramatic, drastic pruning in my life, and many of us have as well. 
but I want you to know that I have witnessed God's love and tenderness and grace powerfully demonstrated as he pruned away the things that distract me from, my pur- from his purpose in my life. So brothers and sisters, three things are going to happen in the normal Christian life. You will bear fruit. You will be intimately dependent on Jesus Christ. And God will prune your life. And to sustain us along the way, he gives us miracle growth. <laughs> we come over and over and over again to his table to fellowship with him through bread and wine. And he sustains us on our journey, supports us, just like when I go up. Go out. Actually, I've got, I've got super-duper organic tomato food now. And, it's, uh, and those tomatoes are just loving it. God gives us his own presence at this meal to strengthen us and make us fruitful. Let's prepare our hearts to meet him at the table. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I invite you at this time to stand. Turn in your service guide to the Nicene Creed as we confess our faith and the words of the Nicene Creed. justice, freedom, and peace, for the just and proper use of your creation, for the victims of hunger, fear, injustice, and oppression, for all who are in danger, sorrow, or any kind of trouble, for those who minister to the sick, the friendless, and the needy, for the peace and unity of the Church of God, 